Praise the Lord. Let's just turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6 from verse 5 to 12. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the watching of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. Whatever profit you might have is korban. That is a gift from God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that it will come alive for us this morning and that as we study these things that you've written down for us, we'd be instructed, we'd be educated, we'd be better equipped to negotiate the life that we have to live on this earth. Thank you that your word is always pure and holy as we approach it with good hearts and that thank you, Lord, your Holy Spirit gives us revelation in these things. We trust you for that in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, with this season coming up, with Christmas, etc., I just wanted to share a little bit on traditions. All right, and the question is, are traditions a good thing or are they a bad thing? It's very important to understand what tradition actually is and decide how God sees things. Because obviously, at the end of the day, what really matters is God's opinion. The first thing I wanted to say is that we've got to understand what a tradition is. All right. In deciding whether a tradition is a good thing or a bad thing, let's understand what it is. The actual Greek word is tradere, which, as I understand it, means coming from the side of man. Something that comes out from humans. All right. That's what a tradition is. Something, if I can put it this way, concocted by the human mind. All right, now, we've got to understand that if we look at it that way, tradition is a very broad thing, actually, and our whole lives are basically founded on tradition. If you think about it, humanity gathers together in society and we decide on certain norms and certain ways of doing things, do we not? It's just how things are. And if we have to say, well, anything that comes from man's mind is wrong, well, we're not going to be able to live successfully on the earth. But you see, when we're talking about tradition in this context, we've got to understand that we as humans get into habits. Let me put it that way. A lot of things we do just because we do them. <laughs> All right. And you see, it doesn't mean that everything we do is wrong, obviously. What we've got to just discern now is why we do them and continually hold them up to the light of God. Can you see that? The truth of the matter is that, yes, traditions can be a bad thing, 
but they can also be a good thing, you see. And you and I have got to learn how to negotiate them in a successful manner. Because if we don't, believe it or not, it can cause a lot of difficulty, a lot of trouble. Did you know that many people are going to hell because of tradition? Can you believe it? Religious tradition has sent a lot of people to the pit. You say that, it's shocking, and it is. But you see, look at the scripture here. What happened? The Lord spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he said, your traditions are getting in the way. Can you see that? Your traditions are getting in the way. Now, he wasn't condemning every form of tradition that had been handed down. What had happened with the Jewish people, we've got to understand, is they came out of the whole process of the wilderness. Remember, in the wilderness, Moses was given laws. And God gave Israel laws. And that whole nation overcame the nations around them. Why? Because they were a nation of laws. There was order. It's very important to understand. You see, laws are very important. If you want peace, what have you got to have? You've got to have law and order. You cannot have peace without law and order. Without laws, society collapses. So you've got to understand that laws are very important. What are laws? Well, in a sense, laws are tradition. They were passed down from one generation to the other. But Israel came out of a system whereby their laws had put them above the nations of the world. And as a result of that, they hooked into law, you see. It became very much part of their whole system. And then the priesthood and all that was set up. And going down the generations, you see, law had become so important. And they tried to rule their whole lives with a system of law, even to this day. And strange enough, you speak to the devout Muslim. They are run by law. Human nature automatically gravitates to law. Now, there is a good side to it, and this is my point, but there's also a bad side to it. And we've got to understand how to approach these things. You see, very often we've got to understand that laws are created for a particular reason at a particular time. And the danger is we hold on to that law or that tradition, and when things change, we don't change with it, you see, and they become obsolete. What we've got to grasp is that there are traditions in society and there's a lot of good to be derived from them. A lot of societies have traditions and the effect of that tradition is that it keeps that society together. It makes them who they are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Families as well. Sometimes families have certain traditions. Like we all gather together as a family on a Sunday lunch, for example. Or we all go on holiday at a certain time together. Or we do this on that particular day. Can you see? Families develop certain traditions. And do you think they are a bad thing or a good thing? They can be a very good thing because it can give that family a sense of identity. We have a few family little traditions that when we were a young family growing up, it meant a lot. Certain things we'd do like on Christmas Eve, we'd go and look at the lights and things like that. We had certain traditions. They're not bad things. However, 
There's a warning here, and we've got to learn how tradition can actually get in the way. And that's what the Lord was talking about here. Do you see, what had happened is this nation of laws had gone overboard with their laws. Instead of following basic laws, they started to try and orchestrate their whole life according to laws. You can't do that. Did you know that? Life is so complicated that if you have to legalize, if I can call it that, every single action that you do, you end up living in a straitjacket and it's not God's will. Right now, in this particular instance, the Lord was saying to the Pharisees, listen, what you've done is you've nullified, and this is quite frightening, the word of God because of your traditions. Can you see that? They had actually perverted the rules of God, the laws of God, the words of God, the commands of God because of their traditions. And we've got to be very cautious. Yes, traditions can be a wonderful thing, a good thing. However, we've got to be cautious, all right? We can't allow those traditions to override more important principles. Now, the way to negotiate tradition is to realize that there is a hierarchy of rules in the world from God's perspective. What do I mean by that? Some things are more important than others. Amen? You've got to learn that. Rules are important, but some rules are more important than others. And if we understand the heart of God, we're able to determine which are which. Now, this is an example in point here. The Lord is speaking to them. This one tradition that they had, which was, if I can understand it correctly, when a blessing came to the Israelite people, they had to say, this is a blessing from God. And what the Pharisees were teaching is, because it's a blessing from God, you can't do what you want with it. You can't bless your family with it. You can't give it to your parents. You can't do that because it's from God. I have the suspicion that that money they were hoping was coming towards the church. <laughs> so it's like, so you can't give money to your family. You must give it to us, you yeah. see. Now, the Lord was saying, this is wrong because what? That money that comes or that blessing that comes to you is for you to do good. Looking after your family is a good thing. You can't allow a tradition, a law, to stop you from doing a good thing. Can you see that? In the same way, he took the Pharisees to task because they were always saying to him, oh, look, you're doing these things on the Sabbath, you see. The law says that the Sabbath, you must do nothing. It's so ridiculous. On one occasion, he heals a man that's been crippled from birth. His whole life, his whole life he's been crippled. And he heals him on the Sabbath. Oh, my soul, the Pharisees all got up in arms about that. How dare you do it on the Sabbath? I mean, what they forgot to understand is that they had his whole life to heal him, but they couldn't do it. That was the issue. Here this upstart comes and does it and puts them to shame. Now they've got to find something against him. So what do they use? The law. Can you see that? They take a little law and they try and nullify a great thing that's happened. And he was against that. He said to them, if you've got an ox that's stuck in a well, whatever, what do you do? Even if it is on the Sabbath, you don't let the thing die or be in agony, you rescue it. You understand? Why? 
because your ox and its comfort is more important than the laws of the Sabbath. Can you see that? Healing somebody who's been sick for 40 years, paralytic for 40 years, is more important than the law of the Sabbath. Can you see that? So what we've got to grasp now is that when we have traditions, we've got to make sure that they fit in with God's plan. The big question, obviously, is what does God think of this tradition? What's his view on it? Can you see that? Now, obviously, traditions must line up with the word of God. The Lord said that these traditions you have have nullified the word of God. Can you believe it? Humankind is capable of nullifying the word of God. Ridiculous, isn't it? Because of their traditions. You see, so any tradition you and I have, we've got to look at it and we've got to decide, does it conform with God's word? Amen? With his will. For example, you might be a person who has spent your life on Christmas Day and every Christmas you get motherlessly drunk. That's your tradition. There's people that that is their tradition. What Christmas means is an opportunity to drink and eat and whatever else comes with that lot. Can you see? Now you get saved. Your family's tradition is to have a big drink-up, and now you're born again. That tradition, which wasn't doing anybody any good, you've got to decide, does this line up with the Word of God? Quite a tricky one, isn't it? And if it doesn't, if we want to negotiate that tradition per se, what have we got to do? No. We've got to turn our back on it. All right, we've got to turn our back on it. Let's take a look at other cultures. The black culture has a tradition. They used to have a tradition that you could marry as many wives as you liked. You see, that was the tradition, the cultural tradition. Now you get born again. What have we got to do? Take that tradition and line it up with the word of God. And if it doesn't fit, we have to turn our back on that tradition. Traditionally, black people, if they had a problem, who do they rush to? The Sangoma, right? I don't think we understand how deeply this runs in their culture. Let me tell you. Even pastors, I've heard of black pastors, still rely now and then on the Sangoma to help them out. It's a whole network. We know people that came out of that. They told us what actually goes on behind the scenes there. Some churches tried to mix the two together. Did you know that? There's one big organization, they mix everything together. Christian on one side, but on the other side, you go to them and they can cast a spell for you. Can you believe it? Good Christian love that if your boss is giving you trouble and you pay a certain amount of money, your boss can have an accident. Now you see, that's a tradition. Those are traditions. Are they good traditions? Definitely not. And you see, you and I, we get born again. What have we got to do? We have to decide that some things, the law of God, has got to, got to prevail. Otherwise, what are we doing? We are making the laws of God of no effect because of what? Our tradition. Can you see that? These traditions, they run very deep. Now, let me just say, those are probably obvious examples of wrong tradition from a Christian perspective. And please, when confronting these traditions, one has to use wisdom. For example, I know a pastor, a black pastor, a friend of ours in Nigeria, I think it was, they were working with a whole lot of people. whole village got saved 
But the problem was that the headman was the father of all the children and the husband of all the women. The whole tribe was basically one man. Now he gets born again. Now what trouble do you have to negotiate the laws of God in that situation? What was wisdom? Well, for them, wisdom was he looks after the other woman, but he only has one wife. Had to change the tradition. Because you see, if we try and mix tradition with the word of God, what do we get? A mess. It doesn't work. Can you see that? You cannot live in God's kingdom on earth according to the rules of man. We can't do it. We have to draw a line. How we draw that line? We need wisdom. Now, those are probably obvious examples. Unfortunately, as you know in life, things are not always black and white. Amen? Not all traditions are intrinsically bad. Alright? They're not at face value bad. There are a lot, though, that are insidiously bad. And we need the wisdom of God to actually discern. Now, in the Christian community, believe it or not, there are a lot of traditions. But what is a tradition? Something that comes from the heart of man. What happens is situations arise in life and man makes a plan. That's how we are designed. Is that a bad thing? No, not necessarily. God expects us to use our brains and to try and resolve issues as best we can. Now, the problem, however, is that we resolve a problem in a certain way at a certain time. And the way we do it becomes our new what? Tradition. The way we do it. Amen? And you see, the problem with that is that the way we did it then might not necessarily be the way that God wants us to ultimately do it as we learn more. Amen? We do what we can. There was a time if you wanted to go from Pretoria to Johannesburg in a hurry, the best way was to saddle up a horse. So there was a whole industry around coaches and horses that you could get from Pretoria to Johannesburg, but you had to rely either on a horse or if you couldn't afford that, your foot, or even maybe a bicycle, all right? Can I ask you, today you and I are waking up like Tim has to get to the airport in 40 minutes. <laughs> it's the first thing that crossed Tim's mind, I must get a horse. <laughs> no, that's the last thing. Why? Because now we've got what? Cars. Things change. And the big danger is we hold on to an old way of doing things and it becomes totally unnecessary later on, or it actually holds things back. There was an occasion, you might remember with Moses in the wilderness, the Israelites did what the Israelites do best. They rebelled, and God had to deal with them, and so sickness broke out. There were a whole lot of snakes that were biting them. God said to Moses, because Moses said, what must I do? He's wiping this crowd out. And the Lord said, make a bronze serpent and hold it up. Anybody who looks at the serpent will be healed. That's what happened. The brazen serpent. And so everybody was healed. Now what happened with that brazen serpent is they kept it. They kept it. Years later, King Hezekiah had to destroy it. He had to destroy that very thing that God had instructed Moses to create. It became called Nehushtan, which means the bronze thing. What had happened is 
It was all right for that occasion, but what happened? Human beings being human beings started to worship this ridiculous piece of bronze. Can you see that? It became outmoded. God had to move on. That is what happens when you and I hold on to traditions. All right, traditions. They become a hindrance, a burden. I'll give you a good example. In the church, the early Pentecostal movement, this is going back to the turn of the 1800s to 1900, 1906, around their outbreak of Pentecostal revival. The Pentecostals grasped this understanding that people could speak in tongues, you see. And what they did for this thing to happen is they had what they called tarrying meetings. You know what it means to tarry? You wait. And the one occasion where it first happened, they waited and waited, and this woman started to speak in tongues. I mean, they waited for days, I think. So what happened right there? The mentality is what? For you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to tarry. Now, there's an understanding that, you see, we wait for God to come upon us. But you see, God had to instruct us. And through the years, we began to realize that you don't have to wait. You just have to ask. Amen. And once you asked, then you are filled. And then it's a case of breaking through in that, which might take a bit of time. Yes. But can you understand this mentality that you have to tarry, waiting, waiting, became a tradition, an unnecessary tradition in the church. Great understanding helped people to move on from that. Can you see? Throughout the church, you'll find a whole lot of traditions that have crept in, and because of them, people are held in bondage. Let's take the whole understanding of baptism. There is a tradition of baptism which is nothing of the sort. Amen? We all know about it. Getting dunked as a child. I was born into a godless family, good family, but godless. They knew no better. Despite that, guess what happened to me as a little babe? I was bundled up, I believe, I wasn't aware of this, and taken off to some obscure Methodist church, and some reverend, I don't even know who it was, sprinkled the little one. Hence, they regarded me as having been baptized. Now, please, that's your tradition. Many people, that's what they go through. And they have the understanding, I'm baptized. Guess what? Nothing of the sort. That is not baptism. You will not find that in the Bible. Can you see what have we humans done? Our tradition has made the word of God of no effect. Can you see that? That's the danger of it. And you might say, well, that's a very good tradition. And I understand that you and I as children, if our parents want to, they take us to church and they dedicate us to the Lord. That I understand. But what's the problem? You can't confuse dedication with baptism. It's something else. You only get baptized when you decide to follow the Lord. Amen? Once you get born again, then you are entitled to get properly baptized. There's dedication in the Bible. No, not really. But you see, once again, it's a tradition. There is a tradition in the Bible of dedicating children. Yes, but it's not a command. It's not a command. Now, this is a really important thing to understand. You see, because it's not a command, does that make it a bad thing? I remember once we were involved with the dedication of South Africa. A whole lot of churches just got together and felt we must 
have an opportunity to dedicate this country to God. It's been done before by others, etc. On this occasion, we just felt go to the union buildings, have a ceremony. It was a very powerful event, actually. It rained cats and dogs, but it still went through despite that. It was a miracle, actually, that it happened. But in the course of it, I got an email from a pastor in Bloemfontein. He said, I can't see how this dedication actually ties in with the word of God. So I will not be supporting it. Now, I just thought to myself, he might have a point, can you see, that it's not necessarily a commandment. It's not an instruction that you can actually find. But let me ask you something. Is making an effort to dedicate this country to God, to give God an opportunity to bless this country, is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing? We've got to grasp this. When we look at certain activities of humankind, we've got to decide for ourselves, what does this do in the big scheme of things? And remember, there are some things that are more important than others. You might say, oh, well, because God hasn't specifically ordained that the church must dedicate the country to the Lord, does that mean that you can't do it? Does that mean it's a bad thing? Can you see that? A lot of things, if you and I do them with the right attitude, they become good things. Traditions are, in a sense, what we make of them. But they have to tie up with God's word. And that's how to negotiate them, you see. There are a lot of good traditions out there that we need to embrace. Amen? But how do we embrace them? We look at the big scheme of things and look at it and think, what would God do? How does he see this? Let's go to, obviously, the big tradition that's looming now, Christmas. Us Christians are good at making contentious issues out of nothing, are we not? There are Christians that will not celebrate Christmas. Did you know that? They will not do it. They think it's a pagan festival. Now, can I be very honest with you? If you look at it historically and from the biblical point of view, it is a pagan festival. Pagan understanding has crept into it. There's no doubt about it. All right? But does that mean you and I must take the tradition and throw it out completely? Now, please, what I've got to say is this. We've got to understand that everybody is responsible before God to work out their own salvation. Do you understand that? It's not for me to judge a brother who says, no, we don't celebrate Christmas. And it's not for you either. Amen? It's not our job to judge anybody. If that's their revelation. We must respect that. And who knows? Maybe one day we will have a revelation like that. And we'll say, the man was right. We've got to be so cautious about these things. However, let's look at it from a perspective. How does God look at it? Christmas can mean a lot of good, can it not? If you use that opportunity to bring families together, families that would probably not really see each other during the year, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? No, of course not. There are churches that look at Christmas as an opportunity to reach the lost. Amen? They have a massive Christmas service. They invite every Tom, Dick, and Harry from the streets, whatever. They feed them. They bless them. They have wonderful music, etc. And they give them an opportunity to get saved. Is that a bad thing? From a perspective of what is more important, 
Is it more important that people get saved or that we don't observe a pagan festival? In God's economy, what's more important? What is more important? Let's take it down to basic families now. There are families that are divided over Christmas. Did you know that? The one lot want to celebrate, the other lot refuse to. What's more important? Can I ask us that the families get together or that we observe strict religious instruction not to celebrate a festival that's pagan? Can you see? Now, let's be honest. I don't think that Christmas Day is a holy day in the sense of that it's anything more different from any other day. But if you look at it as an opportunity to celebrate the birth of Christ, is that something that's wrong? We all celebrate our birthdays, don't we? People get hung up. Oh, is it the right day? Who cares? Who cares? What's the issue? We celebrate somebody's birth because we respect them. It's a great gift. It's a wonderful time. Amen? I hope we're just grasping this. Is it more important to God that we observe the strict law and say, oh no, we're not going to celebrate that? Well, that's fine, but be careful. Are you doing damage to the rest of the family? Are you robbing children of an opportunity to really be blessed? You understand? Christmas for me in a godless family was a special moment because I somehow sensed, and I think it's because of all the music that was being played, I sensed the presence of angels. Did you know that as a little boy? I remember that. We knew nothing about God. We never went to church. Even on Christmas Day, we didn't go to church. But I sensed the presence of God. I remember it to this day. And let's go to this blessed Christmas tree now. Now, please, people go into a whole story about how the Christmas tree is a pagan thing and all that. And to be honest, it probably is. But let me just say something. We have a Christmas tree because it makes a house look festive. And can I assure all of you, when you're all out of here, we don't bow down before the Christmas tree. The Danish dance around the Christmas tree. They dance around the Christmas tree. That's their tradition. Okay. The big question is, any activity, what does it do for your and my faith? Amen? What does it do for your and my faith? Does having a Christmas tree here make us feel, oh, we're not close to God? No, not at all. It gives the warmth and we enjoy it and it's the time of the year. It's a tradition, all right? We don't worship it. We don't think that we're introducing paganism into our home. What I'm saying is that we mustn't get bowled over by silly little rules. And I'll just share one story about a Christmas tree which really touched my heart. We were working on the dump here, the area where everybody puts their refuse. When there were people living there, that was their career, so to speak, recycling you know, stuff on the dump. When you go there, it's like the apocalypse. It's like burning tires and the whole education. Anyway, we had this ministry going there, and we used to go there every Wednesday with Pastor Butti, and we used to just round everybody up. I used to stand right in the middle of absolute devastation and start to sing with my guitar. Pastor Butti would go and collect people, and before long, we had a whole congregation around us worshipping God. We had some very touching moments. Once we had communion, they'll never forget it. And they all came, all these people. We had to stretch the little bit of wine. Each person only had a drop. But we had communion. Isn't that wonderful? On the dump. There was one lady there, quite a character. She saw herself as a prophetess of sorts. She used to have revelations and visions, you see, about the coming of the Lord 
And I think a lot of it was inspired by the Mozambican beer, which she loved a lot. She was a dweller there. Janet raised her from the dead once, actually. It was quite exciting. But this lady, she would, before we came there, set up like a little chapel. She used to take tins, pieces of wood, make pews. She'd find some sort of table. She'd make an altar of some description. Boards around there, so that was a circle. And this is where we had our service. It became a hallowed sanctuary, actually. But the only ornament she could find for the actual altar was somebody's discarded old Christmas tree. (laughs) And she put that there. That was like our crucifix. (laughs) Can I ask you a question? In God's mind, did he look down and say, Oh, my soul, these people are worshipping a pagan idol? No. No. From God's perspective, what were these people doing? The best they knew how to honor him. Amen? Can I tell you something? Because of that, in his sight, that tatty old discarded Christmas tree became sacred. Amen? And that ground became hallowed. And we saw some great miracles there, can I tell you? One occasion, I'll just share this with you, this one man started to cry and asked Pastor Booty just to chat to him. Do you know what? It transpired. He had murdered six people in his life. Been to prison. (laughs) And here he was on the dump, his life in a mess. And he's wondering if God can forgive him. He's wondering if God can forgive him. Amen. What's more important? Can you see that? When you now come to these traditions, which are part of life, what must we do? Hold them up to the light of God's word, I mean, for a start. And then look at them in the big scheme of things from God's perspective. Traditions, at the end of the day, are exactly that, what you and I make of them. That's the choice we have. Christmas, as I always say, it's what you and I make of it. That's what matters as far as God is concerned. And if it's an opportunity for families to get together, opportunity to reach the lost, opportunity to give thanks to God for the great things he's done, for the great gift of his son. I think that's a good thing, don't you? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.